Good afternoon, folks, and welcome to another edition of the Scouting Combine. Alongside your host, Brandon Ligori, is my co-host, Usam Patel. Usam, before we get into Alabama's destructive 52-24 victory in the college football playoff national championship, how's everything been, buddy? Hey, man, everything's, everything's been good. I got to say, just grateful for everything that I have. It's a new year. Hopefully things change. And, you know, it's better than last year, like uh, we talked about. I'm sad that, you know, college football is over. But, hey, college football never ends. Right. Here, it's, it's senior bowl season, shrine game season, draft season as well, along with, uh, along with OTAs coming up soon. And I'm really, really excited about that. And, there, and, you know, there's a lot of interesting – we have the AFC Championship game this upcoming Sunday. The Buffalo Bills – and remember, you and I did a podcast. I believe it was on New Year's Eve. We, we brought a special, a special guest on. And I can tell you right now, he's definitely – he's probably anxious. He's nervous. I don't really know how many – I don't really know necessarily how he's feeling, but I can tell you right now, if the Dolphins were ever in Buffalo spot, we'd be feeling just as the same as him. But what a game this past Sunday. No Pat, no Patrick Mahomes pretty much the entire second half. And a former Dolphins quarterback, Chad Henney, had to lead the way for the Kansas City Chiefs. What necessarily did you see play out in that game? Because there were specific times where I thought, hey, Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns might just pull off this massive upset. Hashtag anything can happen. The Dolphins goat, the Dolphins legend, Chad Henny. Listen, I mean, I was, I actually wanted the Cleveland Browns to win this game because I was tired about hearing all this, oh, Pat Mahomes talk, Pat Mahomes talk. I mean, look at the Cleveland Browns. They've been solid in the run game. They've done well. Kevin Stefanski possibly could be the coach of the year over Brian Flores. And I mean, it looked like during a point in the game towards the fourth quarter, the Cleveland Browns could actually win this. And then before we realized about that, you know, touchback penalty, and it just absolutely messed with me how that penalty is like even there. And then there was even a head-to-head -head collision as well. The refs didn't even call that. So I was just, I had, I had a lot of mixed feelings about that game, but I know Browns fans are happy. You know, they finally won a playoff game. They went to the divisional, almost beat the Chiefs. And, you know, they lost to the Chiefs the same way the Miami Dolphins lost on a swing pass to Tyreek Hill on fourth down. And, man, it was it was a killer to see. It, it was just a killer to see. And on the NFC side, 75,000 fans inside Lambeau Field weren't necessarily able to watch Aaron Rodgers and his masterful performance but millions around the globe, including us three, were able to witness why the Green Bay Packers might be crowned the 2021 Super Bowl champions. What necessarily did you see from Rodgers, wide receiver Devontae Adams, and a strong ground game that was able to push the Green Bay Packers past the L.A. Rams? The Green Bay Packers are the number one seed in the NFC for three reasons, and you just said it. The GOAT, Aaron Rodgers, Probably a top five wide receiver, Devontae Adams, uh, you know, along with a great running, a three-headed running game with Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, and Jamal Williams. And not only that, they have a pretty decent defense, too, and they can compete with anybody 
in the league. I mean, they the Rams came in touting the number one defense in the NFL. And Matt LaFleur, Aaron Rodgers, and Adams absolutely whooped their butts. They can compete with anybody. And my prediction is I think I think they'll beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and be playing in Tampa in the Super Bowl. Yeah, and, and I mean, and these two teams met earlier in the, uh, reg- in the regular season. We saw the beatdown that Tom Brady was, it was able to put on Rodgers. This is pretty much why every, everyone kind of says, you know, you never bet against Tom Brady come, come playoff time. I kind of expected the uh, Buccaneers to, to beat the uh, New Orleans Saints. Might also be Drew. Tom Brady might probably end Drew, Drew Brees' career, which if you take a look at the past four times that the Saints have been to the, uh, the playoffs, 2017 on, they've ended in pretty much nightmare fashion. 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, and even 2021. But let's flip things over to the college football side because we pretty much saw why LSU was dominant against Clemson last year. And we saw what Joe, what Joe Burrow and that offense was able to do. But how about quarterback Matt Jones, 36 for 45, 464 yards, five touchdown passes. And not only did Matt Jones have a masterful game, maybe a future Miami Dolphins wideout, Devontae Smith, a game-high 12 receptions, a game-high 215 receiving yards. I mean, these are like, these are like video game numbers. What did you see out of Devontae Smith, who pretty much – sat out the entire second half, and Alabama was still able to cruise to a 28-point win. I mean, I'm going to say it I'm going to say it again. Every year, year in and year out, Alabama returns to the college football mountaintop. This is their 18th national title in its program's history. And I'm telling you, Bear Bryant was looking down from the college football heavens and saying that Nick Saban is probably the greatest Alabama coach behind Bear Bryant. Okay, it was just an absolutely dominating performance, fifty-two to twenty-four, and they went undefeated. They're thirteen and zero, and they were unchallenged much of the season. I mean, from last year, they lost a lot of starters and a lot of depth depth in the uh, twenty twenty NFL draft. And you know, they they're like a factory, and they just churn out multiple stars. We talk about Mac Jones replacing Tua Tungavailoa. We have Najee Harris, who exploded onto the scene his freshman year with only a limited amount of touches. And he has a great game as well. And then Heisman Trophy winner, Devonta Smith. He answered the call as he led one of the best offenses in the nation. And he showed out for the biggest game of the year. I, I mean, I just, it's, it's amazing. And so spectacular, and like it's jaw dropping to me. He was unstoppable. Literally, Sean Wade could not even stop him. He was pulling in 12 catches with only 13 targets for 250 yards and three touchdowns in the first half. Before, just in the first half. And guess what? That was the final game of his career, and it was in Hard Rock Stadium. And it will be great and poetic to see. His first career NFL game could possibly be at Hard Rock Stadium playing with the Miami Dolphins. And Brandon, Ohio State entered the game with a chip on its shoulder, you know, after they beat Clemson. You know, 
they haven't really played anybody in the Big Ten that really challenged them enough. You know, Clemson was the big dog, but they had a couple of injuries, and Ohio State absolutely changed their entire offense and their game plan as well. There were a couple of setbacks, you know. Trey Sermon left the game early, and a couple of players unavailable due to COVID-19 protocol, and it was just a lopsided result for Ryan Day and this Buckeye squad. You know, their absences were notable, but were they game-changing, Brandon? I definitely agree that they were that they were game-changing. I mean, this was a game that Justin Fields, who probably 99.9% of us thought he, he would do to declare for the NFL draft, which he did earlier this week, Justin Fields had 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 to have a perfect game. The running game, which was pretty decent at first. I mean, you had Master T gain 65 yards on 15 carries. He did score two touchdowns. I mean, Ohio State, they were in they were in the game early. Alabama scored first, but Ohio State came back and scored quickly. And then Alabama then jumped out to a 14-7 lead and, out, and Ohio State cap, capitalized moments later. So Ohio State had a great opportunity to be crowned the college football playoff na- national championship. But again, a team like Alabama, a head coach like Nick Saban, and stout players that include, like, like you had already mentioned, Najee Harris and Smith, it's very hard to play a B-plus game against Alabama and win at, at the same time. This is a team you have to play 100% full-time, all four quarters, 60 minutes of hard grind-out football. And in the, se- in the second half, you really didn't see that from Ohio State, just seven points overall. Pretty much the, the icing on the cake for the Crimson Tide was scoring 28 second quarter points. By then, it was kind of just a blowout, and you knew from there on the, the 13 and 0 Crimson Tide were going to be crowned champions at Hard Rock Stadium. Now, as we shift over from, you know, this game, we have a special guest here today from Finn's Pod. And I hope you guys know who he is because he's a good friend of mine. Today, we have Moose here. From Finn's Pod, Moose, how you doing, my brother? I'm good. I'm good, Hassam. How you doing? Thank you, guys. Thank you, Brandon, for having me. Excited to be here. Excited to talk Dolphins. Of course, and Brandon, I see you're a Miami Dolphin fan, living up in uh, in Pat's Nation. What's yes. it like up there? Yes, uh, I'll tell you. Patriots fans around our, so we're all in our 20s, roughly. These people have not felt pain before, so this year has been especially. Um, you know, joyful for me to watch, you know, seven and nine, you know, for us, that was you know, not the worst year we've had worse seven and nine. You would have thought that the Patriots went two and 14, the way that new England fans have reacted. So um, it's absolutely been a pleasure to watch now the 20 years before this. Yeah, that was absolute hell. Um, and I definitely think it helped ingrain me more and more in my fandom um, because I just had to deal with them and Tom Brady's ugly face for 20 years that <laughs> I was like, you know what, like Chad Henney will do it this year. Or, you know what, John Beck's coming. So eventually I, I kind of realized that, you know, it, there is pleasure and pain, um, you know, so I, I definitely am happy that things are finally turning around and um, I'm happy that the roles are reversing now. We're about wearing aqua and orange in public in Boston. And then the Patriots fans are like, oh, damn, wish we were that good. Wish we had a future <laughs> like them. Yeah, well, and I tell you, well, I, I, I tell you right now, if, if Tom Brady somehow pulls off a win in the NFC Championship and then goes to the Super Bowl and pulls off a victory, I don't see, I don't see Bill Belichick sleeping at any point come February because that would be absolutely brutal for any new, new, new England fan who was hoping 
for Tom Brady to not be successful in his first year in Tampa. Tom Brady can single-handedly change the narrative and change the way that the the Patriots dynasty is going to be remembered. If he's able to go to – if they win – now, obviously, I really hope not. I hate Brady forever. But if they're able to win, like you mentioned, then I think everyone's going to think back and go, oh, that was Tom. Bill was great, but, you know, what did Bill do without Tom? Well, I mean, the Cleveland Browns didn't do so good. He was with the Jets for about a week. You know, the second he leaves, he brings in Cam Newton, and they go 7-9, and and next year's prospects aren't looking much better. So, you know, he can if he leaves, makes his own team, and immediately wins the Super Bowl, I think people will look back at the, the 20 years, and they'll be like, yeah, it was Tom. Now, personally, I wanted them both to be mediocre, so that way, no, no one of them would be considered the greatest. So if the, if the Bucks lose against the Packers, go Pack Go, um, and then they proceed to not really win any Super Bowls and Tom Brady goes out and the Patriots kind of stick at 7-9, and 8-8, eight and, eight, and, and Bill Belichick kind of rolls into his, you know, rolls out in the, in the sunshine with like, you know, 8-8, eight 9-7 and, eight, nine and seven seasons. I think people will be like, they needed each other. And that's going to diminish the goatness that they both have achieved over the last 20 years. If, you know, if, if Belichick's able to bring the Pats right back to the, the playoffs next year, people will be like, wow, he can do it with anyone. And if Tom wins a Super Bowl, same, same story. So they both could equally, everyone could look back, you know, when we're talking to our kids and our grandkids, we'll be like, yeah, they both were amazing. No, no, I want to sit there and be like, yeah, I mean, they both were good independently. They needed each other, though. Um, they were just lucky to have each other. That's the narrative I'm hoping New England gets stuck with, and that's why Aaron Rodgers needs to do it. But you're, you're right, Brandon. If, if Tom Brady wins, even I can't sit here and deny it. That's amazing. That's an amazing feat. And, you know, it was it – was, it was, you know, uh, Tampa Bay head coach Bruce Arians mentioned, you know, there's sometimes where he doesn't necessarily coach Brady. He sometimes just sits back and he lets Brady does his own thing. Whereas in, in, in New England, you can see uh, Belichick and Brady, they were always next to each other. It felt like uh, Belichick didn't really let Brady do his own thing. I thought that was a very, very uh, interesting quote from, from Arians, which shows that he has 100% trust in Tom Brady. I mean, this is a guy – you also have to remember too. Tom Brady's the first quarterback ever to play in an, in a champion in a conference championship in three separate decades: the 2000s, the 2010s, and now the 2020s. Guys, I mean, this. I don't. I if Tom Brady even going this far, to me personally, already shows that it was a lot more Tom Brady than it was Bill Belichick. And I'm not. And I'm not degrading Bill Belichick whatsoever. I think he's definitely he's he's on that coaching tree as uh, as Andy Reid. And you can even throw in Sean McDermott, who's done a wonderful job since getting hired by the Buffalo Bills in January of 2017. But you can just tell, and I definitely agree with, uh, with Moose's point, Brendan and Cam, uh, New England's not used to a losing season. So a 7-9 season did feel like, an, like even like an, like an 0-16 year, you know? So if Tom Brady is able to go to Tampa and win the Super Bowl, I can tell you right now, New, New England fans and Bill Belichick, they will be sleep. They will have a lot of long nights come February and even the off the off season as well. Now, all I'm going to say though is being being in the eye of the storm up here. Don't count Bill out, not yet. I I, I get it. I, I don't. I know this is trauma speaking right now. This is right. not like reality, but I mean, 2008, Mac. You know, we're, we're pissed that we didn't get the playoffs at 10 and six. The Patriots didn't get no way at 11 and five with Matt Castle as their quarterback. That's right. And then when Brady got suspended for four four games thanks to him deflating some balls, he went three and one with Jacoby Brissett, Jimmy Garoppolo. He right. he's shown he can do it. I think this season had a lot more to do. They had some opt outs, which again weren't helpful. Now, obviously, that's not everything, but they had the most opt outs. And I I really think they they just botched the quarterback 
decision, the way they sort of waited to see what was available and then just took what was ever left rather than going out. And they would have been better with Andy Dalton than with Cam Newton this season. So you get some competent quarterback play. I mean, look, they look at that roster. They still won seven games. Like, you get a quarterback who's not going to, you know, throw the ball into the dirt every pass and is able to throw 15-yard hitches and comebacks. I don't know. I, Ten wins, they might be able to do it. I mean, their defense – I mean, Stephon Gilmore missed a bunch of games. Who who do they really have? And yet they still went seven and nine. When we have, you know, Ryan Tannehill, Mike Wallace, we get Jared, we get loaded and we still go seven and nine. So, like yeah, that. and it's it's really up to coaching at that point. And speaking of narratives, you know, we have our own, I guess you could say, quarterback conundrum going around with all these rumors about Tua and Deshaun. Like what is going on? We weren't even expecting this. The Texans organization is completely crapping the bed on Deshaun Watson. And now him and his camp is saying, oh, trade me for Tua Tungavailoa and a couple picks and get me to Miami so I can play with Brian Flores and not have any state income tax. What's, what's going through Dolphins fans' minds across the globe? And I guess you could say the league right now, Moose and Brandon. Two things. One, Deshaun, Deshaun Watson coming to the Miami Dolphins is like LeBron James coming to the, to the Miami Heat in July. The of big three. <laughs> but, you know, I think these are honestly just rumors that pretty much wants to get the uh, media hype going. I mean, you saw what the, what the Houston Texans did, trading DeAndre Hopkins for a fourth rounder in 2021, the 40th overall pick in this past year's draft, and then running back David Johnson. That was probably one of the most foolish trades ever. We saw the damage that DeAndre Hopkins – was able to do with quarterback Kyler Murray. I don't see – I understand Deshaun. I, I understand he's completely frustrated. I definitely un, – I completely understand that. But now flipping things over to the status regarding Tua. He was a rookie. There was no – there were, there were no OTAs. There was no preseason. At one point, the Dolphins had three rookies on the starting offensive line. And quite frankly, I honestly think Tua did a pretty damn good job. I mean, you saw that fourth-quarter comeback – Although it was a, although the Dolphins had lost and fell short against the Kansas City Chiefs, where one went away from yet another Super Bowl, you saw Tua was able to. Well, he was he felt mature in, in 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 that game, and he didn't he didn't give give up on himself. I think the uh, the, the problem is everybody hears the name Deshaun Watson, which I definitely I 100% agree. Deshaun Watson is a top three, top five quarterback in this the league. The mouth salivates. <laughs> the mouth salivates. But I just think right now to speak about the Sean Watson coming to the Dolphins, and again, let's say it does happen hypothetically, the Dolphins are going to have to give up a lot of compensation. I obviously think both first-round picks are probably going to Houston. Two is going to, to, to Houston. But I honestly think either a couple more Miami players or even a couple more draft slots. I mean, Deshaun Watson is Deshaun Watson. He's a premium NFL player. He's not, he's not a guy getting paid only $300,000 a year. He's one of the top quarterbacks in the league next to Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes. So Yeah, there's no great. precedent for this, Brandon. You're right. There's no precedent. This has never right. happened. So, if hey, if the Dolphins get if, – if I wake up one, one morning, okay, and I, and I look at my phone, which I do pretty much – the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning before I go shower is I look at, at, at Twitter to see if, any, if there was any major break, breaking news. You got if the I Adam Schefter noties on. <laughs> if, I, if I look at my phone one day and I see breaking news, the Dolphins are trading quarterback to a ton of Iloa for Deshaun Watson, the third overall pick, and the, eight, the 18th overall pick, would I be happy? Yes, because Deshaun Watson's talent is above the roof. But at the same time, it's like, why did Dolphins fans give up on Tua so, so quick? If you flash back to April of, 
of 2020, everybody was like, yes, we got our guy. Two was it. Two was the one. And then the Dolphins, like Moose had, like Moose had mentioned, missed the playoffs at 10-6. and six. I still think 10-6 and six for a Miami team that really wasn't supposed to do much in year two under Brian Flores. I think it was a hell of a year to win 10 games. You win three more games than, than the New England Patriots, who have absolutely dominated, literally dominated the AFC East over the past 20-plus years. I don't really necessarily think Dolphins fans should be giving up on Tua just yet. But, of course, they're going to give up on Tua when you hear the name Deshaun Watson and trade rumors that he might come to the Miami Dolphins. And you talk about, you know, the pros and cons of this, and then you come into a conundrum. Let's say, you know, his relationship with the Houston Texans organization, as miserable as it is now, deteriorates and deteriorates, and he waves his no-trade clause. And he goes, oh, my God, trade me. Trade me anywhere. And, you know, he's basically the guy that's saying, yes, do this trade, regardless of what assets they have to give up, even if it's maybe Tua, a couple of first-round picks and a player, or maybe if it's Tua and one pick, or maybe to another team, or maybe it's just a Tua for Deshaun swap itself. Moose, if we have to go down this road, if I'm Chris Greer, do I still trade Tua for Deshaun and give up a couple of assets if needed, or do I just stick with Tua and rebuild with the assets we have in this draft and next draft, along with free agency? Yeah, so it so on... My most recent episode, I was staunch on keeping Tua, but that, and I still believe that, but that's because I feel like the cost is too high. It all depends on the cost, right? So if you're telling me you can give up Tua 3 and 18, that's it, do it in a heartbeat. And as much as I love Tua, the goal, and we have to be realistic here, is we want Tua to become Deshaun Watson. I think he can, but Deshaun Watson is already Deshaun Watson, right? And losing. You know, Tua, losing two up for Deshaun Watson—that's a—that's a, an upgrade. So that's as much as it sucks to see him like go. It, that would be an upgrade. And then the two first-round picks—you again, that's a, okay to give up because you have more capital going forward. You have a lot of second-round picks, you got mid-round picks, and your future assets. Now, if you're talking about any salvaging of the future, any any giving up of the future to get Deshaun Watson, then I'm not a fan of that because not only are you taking on, you know, you're giving up assets in terms of draft capital, you also have to take on that contract that he has. So now you lose a lot of money that you could spend to help bolster the offensive line here, there, the linebacker core, the secondary. These are things that will help keep Miami a sustainable winner. And that's what Chris Greer has really talked about is he's trying to build something sustainable. And, and look, we have a perfect example, as painful as it is, in New England. And, and, and you can see that the Dolphins have been operating with that sort of mindset of yeah, team in Buffalo first. too. Yeah, Buffalo as well, where you kind of build team first, focus on depth. And once you're like right on the cusp, you go get your Stefan Diggs, right? You go get your Stefan Gilmore when, or Darrell Revis or whoever it is when you're just trying to get that ring right away. Miami's trying to get to the point where those moves can enter the equation. We're not there yet. We're t- we were 10 and 6. And if you fill in those gaps that Miami can fill in with the third overall pick, 18th overall pick, future second round picks, future first round picks, and, and you believe that Tua will develop, then Miami already won 10 games with a rookie. You don't think they'll be the same, if not better. So, I mean, it depends what you think Deshaun Watson is going to give you. And if, you know, the coaching staff, this is all I'm going to say. If they trade for Deshaun Watson, I don't care what they give up because that means that they spent a year with, with Tua and they don't feel like he's it, that they went and made this trade. If they feel like Tua, they can do it with Tua, they won't do this trade. And I think that's going to tell us everything. If they do the trade in the first place, that, isn't that your answer? If, like, there's your answer. They, they gave up. They're they like, you know what? Tua, as much as he showed us, we, just, we see what Deshaun Watson is, and we know he's going to be he's, – 
He's better than what Tua can be. And I have faith in what Brian Flores has coached so far. I have faith in Greer so far. I think the last three drafts have been pretty good compared to before. So if we're going to believe them, you know, then, then you have to trust their moves. In terms of guessing, I just, I just don't see it happening. Um, just because what you're gonna, your first move as a general manager, Nick Casario, is going to be to do the one thing that's never happened in the league. Which He's is trading trade a franchise quarterback. A who's in his yeah, exactly. It's, so that's not going to happen. I, one, one final thing is that Miami is actually in a favorable position in this trade, in this trade because of the no trade clause. Because Deshaun Watson is saying, make it work with this team. Miami has no competition. The market, you know, if that trade, if he says, like you mentioned, Hassan, if, if, he gets rid of that trade clause. Now Miami's going to compete with 31 other teams. And I mean, except for the Chiefs. Except for the Chiefs, the only other team that won't be giving a call like, hey, what will it take to potentially get him? So the fact that the no trade clause exists, I think helps Miami potentially lower the price so that, you know, another team isn't going to come in here and be like, we're going to give you five first round picks for Deshaun Watson. And speaking of competition, there are actually a couple of teams in the mix too. There's two teams that are off the ball and possibly one, who is a hot take I'll give right now? So there's one for the San Francisco 49ers. You know, they're possibly a quarterback away. Maybe they don't believe in Jimmy G. They could do that, and he can excel in San Francisco. They instantly become maybe championship But what contenders. do these teams have to give up, though? They, exactly. They, what assets do they have? Miami exactly. can run around them with assets. So I think that's part of the reason. And, and the, you know, the Texans aren't going to give up on Tua without having an answer or a potential answer that they can sell to the fan base or else – their heads are on a spike down in Houston. So, you know, Tua is that answer. So Miami has that. Like, hey, we, he was taken top five a year ago. He's 23 years old. He's going to be a star, right? You can sell that. and Or Miami can sell the top three pick. The Jets, they have the number two overall pick or Sam Darnold. But teams that don't have a quarterback or a top five draft position, you know, like San Francisco, I just don't see them being able to talk to Houston unless they do something crazy and really mortgage their futures. And you talk about the Jets, and it's funny, um, you know, new coach Robert Saleh, he's going to instill almost a similar culture in San Francisco and in Miami, and he's building a, a really, really good coaching staff as well, and they can rival the Dolphins in terms of assets as well. You know, it's New York. It's a big market. They're able to give up the assets. Um, if you're a star quarterback in New York, you're going to get a lot of the money. You might take the heat, but hey, they already have a decent defense. They have a couple of playmakers as well. And we've seen what Deshaun has done with little to no playmakers already this season. And in a conference, possibly, with Josh Allen, Deshaun Watson, Tua Tungavailoa, and whatever quarterback the New England Patriots pick, it's going to get competitive. Now, would you outbid the New York Jets so he doesn't go into your conference? Who knows? And then there's probably a dark horse candidate, which no one would even think of, too. And people are going to hate on me for this, but the Baltimore Ravens are a quarterback away from possibly going to the Super Bowl. Damn. We, t we, we talk about Lamar Jackson being a great elite quarterback, you know, as obvious he was MVP last year. But we saw it in the playoffs. He... When asked to throw down 7 to 10 points, he could not do it, but Deshaun can. And if I know the Ravens organization, they will do what it takes to get their guy. They're only a quarterback, and maybe 
a wide receiver away. They already have a solid defense. They have great coaching, and they have great culture as well. See, I would agree. I would agree if this was a wide receiver, right? If, if this was an elite wide receiver that was on the market, like a DeAndre Hopkins situation. But this is, a, this is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. What it would take to get him. I'm tell, I just don't foresee a team other than Miami having the assets or, frankly, being dumb enough. Because even if you got Watson, if you had to give up five first-round picks to do it, that's still not worth it. You're going to be the Texans. You're just the Texans. Like, if he's as amazing as everyone says, why are the Texans so bad, right? It's because you need culture and team with quarterback. So teams that don't have that culture or roster who then get him are, are going to be in the same boat. My, and that's why Watson chose Miami. It's because he sees the culture. He sees the way Miami builds their roster, the way we, we structure contracts. Everything look, is looking on the up. He's like, send me there. And also, I know they have assets to do it. There's just no one else in the league who is as up and coming that I think Watson would be willing to waive the no trade clause for um, that also is able to return the assets. So I, a lot of these, I think it's a lot of, you know, a lot of this is far-fetched, I feel, with Watson. I have a feeling they're going to end up forcing a enemy higher, and then he'll just end up staying. Because that is, I, I just don't, first, I just, it's never happened in the NFL before. And I just don't think it's going to start now where a team is going to lose, the, not just the, the player, but the millions of dollars in advertising, jersey sales, and merchandising that Watson provides. You think a guy like McNair, you know, elbows deep in the oil industry is going to give up a cash cow like that? No way. No way. Just because he wants to. This is the same guy who said we can't let the inmates run the prison. So I just don't foresee a guy who thinks his players are inmates, listen to them and, and sort of, you know, do what they want him to. Man, Houston, Houston sports in, in general are just an absolute turmoil. I mean, it's just an, ab, an absolute nightmare right now. You've got the Houston Astros, remember 2017, their cheating scandal. Yeah. James Harden getting traded away from, from the Houston Rockets to the Brooklyn Nets. And now all these Deshaun Watson trade trade rumors. I mean, hey, I I don't know about you guys, but I definitely want. I wouldn't want to be a Houston a, a Houston sports fan right now. No, absolutely not. <laughs> but looking in, but looking into the up in, in, into the upcoming uh, NFL draft, which is three really two and a half three months away, but it'll obviously be here before you know it. Let's say the the Dolphins do keep that number three pick, Moose. Let me ask you: Do you do you see the Dolphins grabbing? Their future wideout. I mean, obviously, with you know, we had Albert Wilson. Albert Wilson had opted out due to COVID nineteen concerns. We had Alan Hearns opt out, but I don't think necessarily those guys are playmaking type receivers who can make plays over a sixteen game, seventeen game based season. So if the Dolphins do keep that number three pick, do you necessarily see Brian Flores and Chris Beard growing with Devontae Smith? Not at three. I just think a top five pick for wide receivers that is such like that spot in the draft like you need to get that elite guy usually you're horrible which is why you're there but Miami got you know gifted this pick as awesome as I think Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith are and how I think they actually fill Miami's needs the best I would much rather Miami take those players in a more appropriate spot so trade down even if it's at like six or or seven um, to take those receivers I just think three overall if Devontae Smith becomes a nice player, a nice player, but not elite, that was a bad pick, right? You really, only way you justify it is if Devontae Smith or Jamar Chase become perennial Pro Bowl stud wide receivers, which again, they absolutely could. But number three overall, I think is a little rich when, you know, if they become solid contributors to you and then you look over and you see Penny Suell's in the Hall of Fame, you know what I mean? Like, 
So I think, you know, a guy like Micah Parsons, which, you know, potentially might, that also might be a little high, but Penny Sewell's good, you know, trade back ideally is what I think. Um, and I think Miami will likely do that just because there's three quarterbacks in this draft that are considered those guys and Miami is the third pick. So I think trading back would be the, the best way to go and taking Devontae Smith or Jamar Chase a little further down the board. If they take him at three, if they identify him as, you know, this is our guy and we need to get him now, you know, like I said, I trust the coaching staff. I just think the pressure you put on that kid and the need for that guy to hit, you know, we, we, we crapped on Devontae Parker. I didn't. I love Parker. But people crapped on Devontae Parker for years, and he was at 14 overall. So now you're going to take a guy three over. And Devontae Parker wasn't even, like, atrocious, as he's proven. He's actually pretty good and now borderline amazing. Devontae Smith coming in at number three overall, or Jamar Chase, it's like, all right, kid, you're the number one receiver. Go up against their number one corner week in, week out. And when they inevitably struggle a little bit, then I think people will will be very upset with that pick. And, I mean, Corey Davis was the last receiver taken top five, right? He was taken fourth overall. The Titans found A.J. Brown in the second round, right? So – I just think that's a little rich for receivers. And even if, you know, it's obviously early. I mean, we, I don't, I, I, I'm always a guy who doesn't necessarily like to, you know, jump ahead to the new season. But with the, with the Dolphins schedule getting finalized, even if there is a 17th game and even if, if there really isn't, you know, the Dolphins will see the Buccaneers next year. The Dolphins will see the Texans, Titans. Even obviously you got, you got your, your three AFC East teams twice, the Bills, Patriots, and Jets. Do you see the Dolphins as a, as a playoff contender in 2021? And maybe do you even see the Dolphins winning a couple playoff games in 2021? Yeah, I would say when you, when you sort of look at the, the, the projection of this team, right, since the Flores regime has sort of come right. in, the, the first eight weeks were disgusting, right? It was a feeling out process. It was an implementation of a culture and an identity. It was painful to watch, but then it, you started seeing, you know, the, the pieces. The games got closer. They were more competitive. The culture got built where Miami then wins five of their last nine games where we're feeling optimistic going into year two where everyone's saying the Dolphins are a four to seven win team. And, and people who like us who are more aware of what's going on in Dolphins land are like, hey, we won five games with that roster. We just got a lot better. Shouldn't we be better? And we probably, I probably thought like nine gate nine wins would be ceiling, um, and then they surprised everyone and, and won ten. Um, I think they're going to get better next year. I don't foresee any reason to get worse. I think coaching staff, the, the promotion of the assistant offensive line coach to the the head offensive line coach yesterday, I think kind of points that they're going to hire from internally with Godsey or, or Studsville. I think they they wouldn't have promoted someone with from within to be an O line coach if they were going to bring in another offensive coordinator. Um, so I think that points to that. So with that continuity, you know, Tua, like you mentioned, no off season, no ability to prepare, not for just a season, but as a quarterback, he was preparing his hip. He wasn't preparing to play quarterback. So he's going to have a full off season to do that. So even if we get the same Tua and we won 10 games with that, why wouldn't we win 10 games again? Oh, wait, he's going to be even better. He'll be able to help some potential regression that we may see. We may see a regression from the defense. I think it'll be tough for Miami to have the top defense again. So Miami might fall into that top five, top 10 defense. But if the offense picks up the slack, then absolutely. I don't see why Miami can't. And again, look at the games that they lost this year. I mean, the Seattle game, the Patriots game, and then the Bills game. Yeah, those are games that I think you improve in certain areas. Those are games you can win, um, especially the Seattle game. 
And, you know, the, yeah. I mean, we've obviously seen the uh, Buffalo Bills, and, you know, they're right now they're the, they're the team to beat in the uh, AFC East. If the Bills somehow are crowned the 2021 Super Bowl champions, do you think that affects the Dolphins in a positive way? Because it will obviously they'll get talked about more since they're in the same uh, division. Or do you think it affects them in a, in a negative way? Because the Dolphins and even Brian Flores, it, they're going to look at themselves and go, hey, the New England Patriots were the team to beat from 2000 to 2019. Well, hey, Sean McDermott and the Buffalo Bills, they might be the team to beat from, 20, from 2021 to maybe 2030. Yeah, I, I see. I love that question because that you would think that seeing greatness within your division would make you change, but that happened for us for twenty years with the Patriots, where we had them do that to us. And did it really improve the Bills, Jets, or, or Dolphins? No, I don't think it benefits Miami. I mean, you could say, hey, it, it kind of lights a fire, but if that fire is not already there, why are you coaching? Why are you playing? Right. So I think that that doesn't play a role. I think it, frankly, it hurts Miami because. They get confidence. They believe that, you know, they win a Super Bowl. Yeah, they're Super Bowl hangovers, and they might not win back-to-back. But they're going to be in the picture for, you know, five, ten years. If Josh Allen's able to get a Super Bowl now, I think it shows that they're going to be there for a while. I think a loss to the Chiefs, ideally, like, it's exactly perfect because it'll kind of humble the Bills back to earth. Now it might light a fire under their ass so they come back harder and ready to go in 2021. But realistically, I think there's more so of a realization of where they stand. And look, I know week 17 was, was, was painful, okay? It wasn't, it wasn't the best. I think there were certain factors that went into that. But the Dolphins are not as far away from Buffalo as people like to act. It's not like the Bills are, you know, the Chiefs. They don't have Mahomes. They have Josh Allen, and he's had an incredible year, his third year in with Brian Dayball, who was looked at as, as head coach. I really want to see the Bills do this again. I, I, I mean that genuinely. Stephon Diggs, if he can have back-to-back MVP-level seasons for wide receiver, and, you know, and if Josh Allen can do the same thing, yeah, Miami should be concerned. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to be there in the AFC, just like Miami will. But I don't think there's some world beater that, that you know, a lot of people think. And I think a win in the Super Bowl will give Buffalo the confidence that they are that world beater. And then it's even tougher to face them going forward versus if they lose to the Chiefs and realize that they, too, have some work to do. So I, I, I'd like more so of a humbling for that franchise um, to be like, hey, we're in the right direction, but we're not there yet. So Miami feels like we're, we're right behind them and can potentially win the division. But if they win the Super Bowl, then I think, you know, we, that, that shows that, you know, Bean and McDermott did a fine good job, and they are probably right there with the Chiefs, which is not good for us. Usually, and, you know, usually before uh, Usama and I close out each show, we kind of, you know, give our own score prediction for whatever major game is playing. Uh, our last show, we had done the college football playoff national title game. Well, now since we have the NFC Championship and the AFC Championship game, to look forward to in approximately five days. Let's say the Kansas City Chiefs, let's say Patrick Mahomes is a no-go. So Chad Henning's gonna have is going to have to lead the Chiefs to their second consecutive Wait, Super Brandon, Bowl. side note, isn't that insane that Chad Henning is still in right? I didn't, I kind of forgot until I was like, wait, is that, did they just say Henny is what, yeah, I'm sorry, that's just. I mean, it's, it's amazing mind. because remember when Chad Henning was the, was the Miami Dolphins quarterback in 2009, even 2010, now you, you flash forward 11 years later and you got the same Chad Henney, one win away from your second consecutive Super Bowl appearance. So let's say Mahomes is a no-go. They have to throw in Chad Henney. Hey, it's Andy Reid. It's one of the best head coaches. He's a future Hall of Famer. Moose, do you see the Chiefs edging this one out on Sunday night? Or do you see Brian Dable, Shaman Dermott, Josh Allen, and the Buffalo Bills clinching a Super Bowl berth? If Patrick Mahomes is 
in the concussion protocol and unable to play, the Bills will easily back their way into the playoffs, uh, into the Super Bowl, excuse me. How easily are you using that? <laughs> yeah, well, because here's the, here's the deal. I think the Bills, as a young team, young teams in general, obviously teams that have not been there before, are really right. emotionally dependent in, in terms of they feel the emotion more. If something bad happens, you see young teams tend to collapse versus teams right. that have been there before. The emotion that the Bills will feel seeing number four, Chad Henney, versus 15 is, oh, we got this. And that's not an emotion I want Buffalo to be feeling. So if Chad Henney is, is a starting quarterback, I, I think the Bills' offense will be rolling regardless. I, if, if Mahomes is there, I think it'll be a good game, but I think the Chiefs' offense is just better. Um, but if Henney's in there, I think the Bills will win by over a touchdown. I, I just unless Josh, unless Josh Allen reverts to what he used to be, not what this version of him is you know if he reverts to what he used to be and starts fumbling the ball starts throwing wild over the head passes yeah then you know Henny could potentially keep a minute maybe a combination of of Bell and Clyde Edwards Hilaire can kind of do something in the run game try to keep the ball away from the Bills but the Bills the Bills offense has been really good for the last month and a half and their defense has picked up defense superb I mean holding holding Baltimore to three three points in the in the AFC divisional round I thought that was pretty damn impressive yeah and the unfortunate fact is that if if Mahomes is out then Kansas City is going to adopt more of a Baltimore style game plan which Buffalo's already proven that they can handle yeah correct now Now, let's say now on the on the on the NFC side, you got you got one goat versus another goat. You got Rodgers on Green Bay. You got Tom Brady. The soup. The, I mean, Tom Tom Brady can take can take it as he'll have a home game because the Super Bowl is in Tampa. If he's somehow able to knock off Aaron Rodgers, it's probably going to be five five degrees and snow. So, do you see Tom Brady clinching yet another Super Bowl? I mean, I feel like that's like. A movie tale, really. Tom Brady, Clinton, and yet another Super Bowl berth. I, I know you live in New, in New England town. I bet pa- Patriots fans are obviously they're they're sure as hell used to hearing Tom Brady, Clinton, another Super Bowl appearance. So, what are your what are your thoughts about that about the NFC Championship game? Yeah, for sure. So, just quickly touching on on our hated Pats fans up here, I'll say it's actually kind of split because the way that the divorce sort of happened. You know, Brady didn't have to go. It was really an ego thing that eventually warred between the two, between Bill and Tom. So fans who watched that happen, some took allegiances and was with Tom and felt like it was Tom, while the other half of the fan base really felt like it was it was Bill. So the the you know the people who are with Bill hate it. They really don't want the Bucks to succeed. They hate that he was unlike them last year. He was able to get Antonio Brown to come and play and actually stay on the roster, unlike with the Pats last year. So a lot of those fans are angry, and then, but a lot of people want Brady to win. They just love him and appreciate what he's done. I would say akin to like, I'd say our only probably reference would be like Wade. If, if you know, when Wade had gone off to Chicago or gone to LA and he wins a championship, you're like, you know, I hate it, but I love you, Wade, so whatever. So I think there's kind of a split there. Now, personally, in terms of this game, the NFC Championship, I think the weather is gonna play a huge role Brady is used to it. He played New England for 20 years, so I think he'll be fine. But I think the Buccaneers won't be. I think the Buccaneers' defense won't play it because they played an amazing game last week. I don't think they're going to be as ready in the cold. They're not going to be as hard-hitting and fast. And, and the Packers are used to it. They're going to have practiced in it all week. They've played in it before. So I think the Packers are going to end up winning, but I think it's going to be a close game overall. And I don't think the the Bucks are going to lose because of Brady. I think Brady's going to be the reason they're in the game. It's just going to be you know the, the Packers' force of offense and the the you know if it's the weather's bad and stuff like that. I think it's just going to help the Packers. And 
personally, I know bias is involved here. I don't want to see Tom do it again. And, and if he does, then I'll just shake my head because, man, that's, an, like you said, an incredible story. Yeah, Moose. I mean, I, I definitely, I definitely want to thank you for being on our, uh, for being on our show tonight. It was, uh, it's always a pleasure, you know, to, to bring on special guests and uh, able to talk Dolphins football. So um, be sure to uh, Dolphins fans to give Moose a follow on Twitter. Be sure to listen to Moose's podcast. He does a, a terrific job. And as always, alongside your host, Brandon Ligori, Usam Patel, who seems to be having technical difficulties. We haven't heard he him dropped on us. Five thirty minutes. So. <laughs> Usam decided to opt out, but hey, it's it's it's, it's all good. Enjoy your your uh, your uh, Tuesday night, Moose, and enjoy the uh, well, Brandon. Uh, NFC and the uh, AFC Championship game. We should have two great football games ahead of ourselves. Appreciate it, Moose. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And fins up, guys.